the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. If we don't understand this parable, we may very well be confused about that. It can be very discouraging. We may be thinking, you know what, why bother witnessing? I witness, I witness, I witness, and all I get is rejection and apathy. Nobody seems to care about this. So why witness? I don't ever seem to see people come to faith in Christ. Or if somebody does seem to be responsive to my gospel witness, after a while, they seem to fall away. I I never see them again. Have you ever been discouraged as you witness for Christ? Satan wants you to be discouraged so you will give up. The parable of the sower in Matthew 13 gives us much to be encouraged about as we faithfully share the gospel. Welcome to Verse by Verse. This daily radio Bible class comes to you from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve Kreloff is taking us through an in-depth study of seven parables that Jesus taught his disciples. We are in Matthew chapter 13, so turn there in your Bibles if you can and settle in for this great study. At the end of the program, I will tell you of a free book offer from the writings of Pastor Steve. This class session can be listened to again by downloading it from our website, versebyverseradio.org. We hope you will avail yourself of these free spiritual resources. Here now is Pastor Steve. There really has never been a time of greater worldwide outreach of the gospel than right now. I hope you realize that we are living in great times in terms of the gospel going out to people through the use of modern technology, the media, certainly radio, books, creative evangelistic methods, and just old-fashioned one-on-one personal evangelism. More people have been exposed to the gospel of Christ than ever before in history. Amazing times that we're living in. And yet with all this gospel preaching, there seems to be relatively little response to the word of God. We may hear about some who respond to the gospel and are genuinely converted, but but most people just either outright reject the message of Christ, or they make some type of profession of belief in Jesus, but soon fall away from claiming to believe in him. And as thinking people, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why is this? Why is there so little response to God's word? Is there something wrong in the way that we as Christians speak about Christ? Perhaps it's our methodology, our techniques. We, we just don't have the right approach. Or maybe there's something wrong with us personally. Maybe our lack of results in evangelism may be tied to our lack of spirituality. Maybe we're just not spiritual enough and God isn't blessing our evangelistic efforts. Or perhaps we might think there's something wrong with our understanding of the Word of God and how to use the Word of God. After all, we may think that, you know, it's such an ancient book, maybe we need to spruce up our presentation of Scripture. It's a modern world we live in. 
Maybe we need to sound more relevant, more contemporary, more applicable for today's world. And then maybe people will be attracted to Christ. You know what? Everything I've just mentioned to you has been embraced by so-called church growth experts. And they say, those are the reasons and more. And so we've got we've to change our methods. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We've got to make the Bible more palatable. But I want you to know that none of those issues has anything to do with why so many people these days are unresponsive to the gospel. Absolutely nothing to do with anything. For example, what about methodology? Do we need to change our methods? Well, God hasn't promised to bless methods. He has promised to bless his word, not methods. In fact, in Isaiah 55, verse 11, listen to these powerful words through the prophet Isaiah. God says that my word which goes forth from my mouth will not return empty to me, but will accomplish what I desire and will succeed in the matter for which I sent it. God promises to bless his word, not our techniques. So methodology doesn't determine evangelistic success. What about our spirituality? Well, certainly every genuine believer in Christ desires to be more spiritual, desires to be closer to the Lord, desires to uh, have more of Christ's character develop in him. But I, I want you to understand that evangelism and results of evangelism are not based on the spirituality of the messenger, but rather on the truth of the message. And the best illustration of this that I can think of is that angry, rebellious, unmerciful, unspiritual prophet by the name of Jonah, who preached a message of repentance and an entire city of Ninevites responded and and repented, certainly not because of Jonah's spirituality. Frankly, he was rather unspiritual. He was unspiritual. This is a man who who was annoyed that people were repenting. He wanted judgment. So, so understand that evangelistic success is not based on the spirituality of the messenger. Well, what about the use of the word of God? Do we need to make it more attractive and appealing to a new generation of people to be more effective? I remind you that when the Apostle Paul was faced with this very issue of going to Corinth, which was a Greek city, a city that had, uh, had Greek philosophy at the very core of its nature. The Apostle Paul, when faced with this, said to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He means that I did not add Greek philosophy to my message to make it more appealing to you. He said, for I determined, notice this, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He means man's wisdom. Paul didn't try to appeal to the Corinthians by adding Greek philosophy, even though they might have liked it. Paul said, I didn't do that. Not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He just preached the word of God. And then he said in verse 5, so that, here's the reason, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul said, I didn't give you man's opinion. I didn't try to make it more appealing to you. I just gave you the word of God so that your faith would be in the word of God. So it is God's pure word that has never lost its power to bring people to Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. So the real reason that so few people are responsive to the gospel has nothing to do with methodology, spirituality, or the power of God's word. The real reason has to do with the sinfulness of man's heart. 
That's the real issue. And we know that this is the real issue because Jesus gave an entire parable just to teach that one point. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 because in Matthew 13, Jesus taught this very issue. And I'm going to read to you as we've done the last few weeks because we're taking our time going through this since this is so essential to understand. I'm going to read the parable, the story in verses 3 through 9 and then our Lord's interpretation of the story in verses 18 through 23. Beginning in verse 3, Matthew tells us, and he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, the sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road and the birds came and, and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Then verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now, as we've noted for the last few weeks in, in these verses, it, the Lord gives first a very simple story about a sower, a farmer, who takes some seed, goes to his field, and begins to cast the seed on on his field. And because he didn't have modern-day equipment and it's just left to throw it, it lands on all kinds of soils, four different types of soils. That's That's the basic story. Jesus, in his interpretation of this parable, tells us this is what we can expect as we witness for Christ in this age. This is a part of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God now while our king is not physically present. We would say this is the church age. At this point in history, the kingdom and the church age are running parallel. They are running parallel. So the Lord told the disciples the meaning of the story is that as they witness for him, they would be functioning and and we would too, by virtue of the fact that we are his witnesses now, we would be functioning like sowers throwing seed upon different soils. So just as the farmer tosses his plant seed on the field, he would inevitably find that some of that seed would fall upon unproductive as well as productive soil. So we, as sowers of the word of God, we'll find that as we witness for Christ in this age, the message will inevitably fall upon different types of heart responses to the gospel. Mostly unproductive, unfruitful, but there will be some who will receive the word, be genuinely converted, and as evidence of the genuineness of their conversion, they will yield fruit in their lives. That is to say that as we spread the seed of God's word about Christ and salvation, we can expect most people to be like the various unfruitful soils in the parable. However, the encouragement is that we can also expect a small minority to be responsive to the gospel. And they're the ones who will evidence it 
by their lives. Now, folks, this is a essentially critical and important parable for all of us to understand. Remember what we said last week, Jesus said in Mark chapter four, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the others? Because this parable tells us it lays out for us the age before us and what we can expect in in witnessing. And it helps to explain some very important issues. For example, it helps to explain to us why there are so few people today who really believe in Christ. If we don't understand this parable, we may very well be confused about that. It can be very discouraging. We may be thinking, you know what, why bother witnessing? I witness, I witness, I witness, and all I get is rejection and apathy. Nobody seems to care about this. So why witness? I don't ever seem to see people come to faith in Christ. Or if somebody does seem to be responsive to my gospel witness, after a while, they seem to fall away. I I never see them again. Where are they now? They get excited at first, but no, no longer do they even claim to believe in the Lord. They go back to their old way of life. So it's this parable that enlightens us so that we're not discouraged. We don't give up on witnessing. Secondly, it's also this parable that helps us to understand why there are so many individuals who at one time did seem interested in Christ. They did make a profession of faith in Jesus, but now they show absolutely no interest in Christianity at all. In fact, some not only don't show an interest in the gospel, they actually go back to their old false religious system and way of life. You see, we need this parable to guide our thinking so that that we don't come to the conclusion something must be wrong with Christianity today. I've got to help the Lord by, by making it more appealing. We may find ourselves, if we don't understand this parable, even thinking, can God hold on to his own? Has God lost his power that that he can't keep people close to himself? Now, these are some of the reasons why this first parable is so critical to understand, because it helps us to realize the kinds of responses towards the gospel that we can expect as we witness. Jesus didn't want his disciples caught off guard, and he doesn't want us to be surprised either. Now, last week, we looked at two types of heart reactions to the gospel from those who hear it. And this morning, we're going to look at the next two, but I want to go back and review the first two and not just review them. I want to take us a little deeper in explaining this. I find that this is, uh, my heart is arrested here. It's been captivated and uh, I, I feel compelled to go deeper in this so that you'll understand the age that we live in, the responses of people to the gospel. So let's, let's first look and review and go a little bit deeper concerning the hardened heart. The hardened heart is explained in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one, that is Satan, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now, this individual, Jesus said, is like the hardened roadside soil in in the parable. The seed of the word lands on him or her as someone witnesses to them about Christ, but it never penetrates his heart never goes beyond his, his mind and, and, and the surface of his life. And why doesn't it penetrate his heart? Because continuous sin and resistance to the truth has made his heart so hard that he simply doesn't care. He neglects the word of God. He really doesn't care about it. The word just lies there on the surface of his mind without him giving any passing thought to it. He never considers, is it valid? He never wonders, is this true? Uh, is this the message I need that for my soul to be saved for all of eternity? He just hears the gospel, but he never allows it to make an impression upon him. 
And that's why Jesus said that this person hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. The, the reason he doesn't understand it has nothing to do with his intelligence. He may be an exceptionally bright individual, but he still doesn't understand it. Why? Because he doesn't want to understand it. He doesn't even think it's important enough to think through. The message isn't understood by him because he doesn't want it to be understood. And why? Listen very closely, because this message involves making Christ Lord of his life, and he's not about to even go there. He's never going to think about that. Notice, and the reason I say that, notice what Jesus what he specifically called the message of salvation. He didn't say it was salvation, though it is. He didn't call it the gospel, though it is. But notice he says, it's the word of the kingdom. As you throw the seed of the word of the kingdom. Now that's significant. It's significant because wherever you have a kingdom, you have to have a king, right? A kingdom uh, is ruled by a king. It's a realm over which a king rules. And that's precisely the real reason why this hard-hearted individual dismisses the message of the gospel. He doesn't want Jesus to rule as king over his life. That's why he's not going there. That's why he's not thinking about it. It's not even an option in his mind. James Boyce, in his very wonderful book on the parables, explained this kind of opposition to Christ. Here's what he wrote. The opposition of the unregenerate, means unsaved heart, to God's sovereignty is particularly evident in these kingdom parables. For kingdom means rule, and rule is the same as sovereignty. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he came preaching God's right to rule over the minds and hearts of all people. But that is precisely what the people involved did not want. Adam did not want it. He had great freedom but he was offended by God's restriction in the case of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If God exercised his sovereignty at that point, it was here that Adam would rebel. And so he did and fell, carrying the race with him. That spirit of rebellion against the sovereign God works itself out in history until the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes to earth. And the response of his people is, we will not have this man to rule over us, end of quote. And, and folks, that's the same way it is today with hard-hearted people. They hear the word about the king and his kingdom, but they don't want the king to rule over them. So they do nothing with it. It's so meaningless to them that they fail to give it any serious, careful consideration. And that's exactly why they fail to understand it. They don't understand it because they don't even think it's worth considering. It just can't be valid because they will not have anyone rule over them. So they do nothing with the word of God. And I want you to know, as we said before, it doesn't even mean that they have to be hostile. Sometimes they're hostile. Sometimes like the scribes and Pharisees, but other times they're just apathetic. The point is their heart, their heart is hardened and they do nothing with it. It just lies there, never penetrates their lives. And that's why Jesus said, lying there, Satan sees it. And like the birds in the story, he swoops in, snatches up the word from them, and he does it by giving them some convenient excuse that helps to justify their rejection of the gospel. You'll rarely find somebody, though once in a while you will, but you'll rarely find somebody who will say, let me just level with you. I don't want Christ ruling over my life. I'm very content with my sin. I'll not have him be Lord of my life. Instead, they'll give all kinds of justifications for rejecting Christ. Well, Christianity has too many hypocrites. I don't want to be one of them. Or I'm already satisfied with my own religious system, and, and I don't need anything else. I'm happy for you. I'm glad it works in your life, but it's not for me. Or I don't believe that people are inherently evil. 
but good. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not bad enough that I need a Savior from sin. Or, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in that at all because the Bible is so filled with contradictions that I'm, I'm not even going to think about this. Now, people give those kinds of excuses, but I want you to know they're satanically inspired excuses. Now, they're not conscious of that, but that's what it is. Satan has swooped in and blinded them and taken the word away from them. So the first kind of heart that Jesus spoke about was the hardened heart. The second kind of heart that Jesus spoke about in terms of responsiveness to the gospel is the shallow heart. Verses 20 and 21. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but he is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is so important to understand because our evangelical churches are filled with people like this. This person's heart is compared to the soil that had a layer of rock just beneath the surface. As I told you last week, he's not talking about a field that has all kinds of rocks lying around. The farmer would be smarter than that. He'd remove that, but this is what he couldn't see. The layer of rock lies just below the surface so that the soil is extremely shallow. And just like the plants that initially looked good because they immediately sprang up from from the shallow soil, so these individuals initially look good too. Jesus said that they hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy. They're, They're happy about this and their lives do take on some immediate changes. But like the plant seed in the rocky soil who were not rooted in the depth of healthy soil, these individuals are not and were not rooted in Christ, which means that they were never converted, which means that they never had a transformed heart. That's why Jesus said they were only temporary and they fell away, not from salvation, because they never had salvation. They fell away from being identified with Christianity when faced with the prospect of suffering for Christ. Even though they didn't know Christ, being identified with him invites suffering and persecution. You see, these individuals had nothing more than an emotional, shallow, religious experience. It was just a feel-good experience. That's why they're so happy to to hear this, because they, they looked at Jesus as someone who'd make their life better now, right now. All they saw in him is someone who would improve their present situations. They might have been going through a crisis. They, they might have been going through a very difficult time, and they looked at Jesus as one who would just help them get over this and get through this. They were never convicted of their sin. They, they were never convicted of their lostness, their need for repentance, their submission to Christ's lordship in their lives. They just jumped on the Jesus bandwagon in hopes of improving their lives. Folks, this is the seeker-sensitive church. That's what they, that's what they appeal to. Come to Jesus and life will be better. The great evangelist Billy Sunday said, you have to get people lost before you can get them saved. A person must understand that Jesus died as a substitute for them before salvation takes place. They must see their need of a Savior before they can trust in the only one who died to save them. A newly released book entitled Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd is being offered to anyone who sends a contribution to Verse by Verse this month. This 207-page paperback book is a compilation of some of the best of Steve Kreloff's messages over the 30 years of his ministry at Lakeside. It will be a rich resource of teaching for you, and your gift will help keep Verse by Verse on the air. Send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, 
Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can contribute online by going to versebyverseradio.org. Click on the Support Us tab, then scroll down to the Donate button. You can contribute by credit card or through your PayPal account. Another option is to call us at 727-239-0306. And our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel, 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. Folks who have been blessed by these radio programs help keep it on the air by their prayers and financial support. Remember, the book Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd will be sent to anyone who sends in a contribution of any size to Verse by Verse. This book is a wonderful resource of materials covering topics like the life of Elijah, Esther, the Beatitudes, running the spiritual marathon, how to find God's peace, and much more. The address to send your contribution to is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. And that phone number again is 727-239-0306. Our website is versebyverseradio.org. If you have any questions about anything in the Christian way of life, please contact us. That phone number again is 727-239-0306, and our email address is contact at versebyverseradio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.